Hey everyone, welcome to the Practical Priesthood Podcast. We understand that every baptized believer is in the priesthood. The Practical Priesthood Podcast is here to inspire you, to inform you, and illuminate you through the lenses of scripture, theology, tradition, experience, and even reason as you live out your everyday life. Can you know, love, and glorify God in your work? Have you ever wondered how boring, hard, repetitive work can be enjoyable? On today's episode, we're going to cover the redemption of work and the great gift it is to us and so much more. This is episode one of the Practical Priesthood podcast, and we're so excited that you're here. Hey everyone, we're so glad to be recording this first episode uh, of the Practical Priesthood podcast. I'm Thad. I'm Mike. And I'm Josh. Uh, and again, it's just uh, it's a good good thing to be here. Are you guys excited? Yeah, we're so pumped to have you guys here. This is a dream come true, I know, for us, and we are so excited to be a part of your day today. So thank you. Yeah, I, I was telling Mike this morning we had coffee, and I said, you know, I've I don't think I've in a long time I haven't had a night where I've like struggled going to bed. I was so excited. I actually texted Mike yesterday. I'm like, are you sure like you, we can't record this, you know, yesterday? And he's like, I've got stuff I got to do. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been, you know, up most of the night and just excited. I don't know. I'm pretty, pretty pumped. Absolutely. Um, but before we get started, I think it would be good for us to pray. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mike, would you mind, uh, uh, opening us in prayer? Yes. Yes. Dear Jesus, we love you and we are privileged to be, a part of your family. Thank you for redemption. And so I ask for that family that's listening right now. I ask for those who are in their car, they're working out, they're doing whatever they're doing for their day. God, we ask you to bless them, strengthen them, help them. And we're asking on this podcast, Lord, you would speak to us and through us. And we want to be an encouragement to your people. Help us, Lord, to help others, and we want to glorify you. So please, Lord, fill our thoughts and our minds in such a way, God, that we could give you glory in all things we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, I think uh, an appropriate place to get started here, since we're going to be talking about work in the body and just what we're doing uh, physically, um, I, I think it'd be good for kind of all of us to share a little bit about what we've done or what we do do. Um, so Mike, why don't you get us started? Yeah. Our heart in this is we want you to know that we are real people. (laughs) We struggle and the topics that we cover have come many times through the school of hard knocks. So I want to share a story with you about a time when work was ridiculously hard, sick and boring. And I mean, sick, like, oh my gosh, I can't take this anymore. (laughs) Uh, so one of the first ones that that comes to mind is I've done cleaning on and off for a number of years, even prior to starting the cleaning business. And there was this one time where I had to vacuum a very large movie theater. And in this movie theater, it was set up like an amphitheater with sloping seats. And I had to go through every single chair underneath every single one of them and vacuum again and again and again. And uh, let's just say it took a really long time. And your brain has those moments like, what am I doing here? I don't want to do this. And I still had to tackle it. Um, And another one that comes to mind is we had a milking cow on our homestead. And so literally morning and evening, we have to 
do the hard work of being a dairy farmer, if you will. We weren't official or anything, but um, when you're doing that again and again at 4.30 in the morning before you have to go to your next job and then you have to process the milk and uh, clean all your machines and do that day and night, make sure the cow is taken care of, well-fed. Again, all those same things that run through your head. I don't want to do this. This is crazy. I'd rather go buy a gallon of milk at the store and not have to do it like this. Um, yeah. So work, work has at times been, wow, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I, I, uh, my first job ever was working in a blowtorch factory. Hmm. Um, it was a really small blowtorch factory in the town that I grew up in. And I remember that most of my, most of my job was to sit at the same workstation and it was a small company. There's only maybe six of us that worked there. And we're building these blowtorches that you use to uh, form uh, glass, mm-hmm. like glass makers would use it. And I remember having to take the little uh, cylinders, little cylinder tubes, and put them in inside of the, the, the torch. And you're talking anywhere from like 60 to 100 of these tiny things that you have to put in right because that's where the gas would come out and where, where it'd come together to create the flame. I had to ha- do that by hand. And I did it at first, like this is oh, this is easy. Like I, I'm, I'll have no issue doing this. And then after about like the tenth blowtorch and the fourth or fifth hour of work, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so boring. Yes. Uh, luckily, we had music, but I, you know, I remember uh, you know going through like basic training and having to really like for the first time in my life really work with my body yeah. to. Um, to run around. I mean, everywhere you went, you ran, you know, uh, I was the first time that I had to do that much physical exercise, you know, constantly. And it was just really difficult. And at the end of the day, I remember, uh, you know, getting finally back to my bunk after doing whatever we were doing for the whole day and just finally relaxing. Um, and, 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 and really any other moment we had where there was just a split second of sitting still, your whole, the, your body was immediately like, just go to sleep, just relax. But you knew if you did, you you were going to get reamed out for it and yeah. it was going to be awful. Yeah. So you just didn't do that. Um, and, and beyond that, you know, mo- most of my job as a pastor is very sedimentary. I sit at a desk most of the time I'm write, writing a lot or I'm reading a lot or I'm, you know, I'm doing emails and if I go and visit somebody, right, or I, I plan a meeting, it's usually sitting down over a cup of coffee or sitting at someone's house or sharing over snacks. It's, it's a lot of sitting still and a lot of driving around and a lot of sitting still and a lot of reading and a lot of sitting still. So it's a, it's a lot different work than what, what, what you do as far as the cleaning business. Um, but I, uh, I did I, during COVID, um, I ended up working for someone in my, one of my previous churches who was building an addition onto his house and it was a concrete addition. And so it was, um, building, uh, a room or a whole wing really of the house, um, out of 12 inch thick concrete. Mm. So it was putting up forms. It was making sure they're secure. It was dealing with concrete, pouring the concrete, you know, all of, all of this stuff. It took us most of the summer to do it. And, and I just remember having days where I would, I would, I would drive up to his driveway. I'd get out and I would just, we would sit out before and drink coffee. And I remember sitting there one morning drinking coffee. It's, you know, the Kentucky heat, it's humid. It's the middle of the summer. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, But I liked the money that I was making. And I, and I, you know, I liked working with my body. Like everything about me was saying, you don't want to do this. This is hard. 
you're you're putting all this out there and then and then there was that that small voice in my head when i would get home that i was like i feel satisfied mm-hmm. i feel satisfied doing this so it was it was tough but you know it was it was it was an awesome experience and what we're essentially driving at is that work has this mixed experience yeah there's a part of it that is so good so amazing and there's this part of it that stings I mean, it stings mentally and it stings physically. I mean, another quick farm story because farm work is hard Mm. work. We were baling hay. It was my first time I've ever baled hay. I'm originally from an urban setting. And so, you know, you don't realize what goes into this farming process until you do it. And so we were baling square bales Mm -hmm. in the middle of July and it's hot upper 90s. And I'm on the back of a hay wagon and, you know, we're talking hundreds of bales. And my gosh, you want to talk about hard work where you get that satisfaction of working with your body and knowing what you're doing is good because it's producing essentially food for you, meat in the long run. But you want to get, you know, 90 something plus degree weather mixed in with manual labor and endless amounts of it, where if you don't do that, it could rain tomorrow or the next day and your hay crop is gone. Mm-hmm. And so talk about the sting there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's this mixed, it's this mixed experience. And, and as someone who has never done that, I'll tell you, I learned to appreciate that work because of the oh, people yeah. in my last church. There was a farming, it was a farming community. Yeah. And, and one of my, one of my members was in his eighties and he was out, he's been a farmer his whole life. And he's out with his grandsons who are, you know, in their early twenties, late eighteens. And they're bailing hail, hay, not hail. They're not bailing hail. They're bailing hay in the middle of this, you know, summer heat. And he's like running up behind the tractor, hopping on. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I'm watching this and I, I'm just amazed at it. That, I mean, I'll tell you what, there, I have not met a tougher person in this world than a farmer. I mean, you do, you just, you're not going to meet them. And they're not big. They don't look big and stocky half the time. They're usually, they're, they're, they're usually kind of smaller. And, and you, you look at them like, oh, you know, kind of quaint. But you, you you try to get in a wrestling match with them or, oh, or you know arm wrestling or something you're you're going down. It's yeah. just not going to happen. They're tough people. Yeah, and it's just years of of hard physical labor. Much respect to our farmers out there. Oh, absolutely. Much respect. Absolutely. So essentially, what do we do with this mixed thing called work? Yeah. Because for the most part, the negative side, the sting, outweighs many times the positive and that's why we have that story like that that narrative in our head that's saying i don't want to do this i want to avoid it i want to get out of it what's the least amount i could do and why is it this way like what's going on and how do we help it and so um one story that really stuck out to me as we were preparing this podcast was um i had a friend who was Uh, a workout guy like he going to the gym trying to get big trying to get strong take care of himself he was on uh, i believe it was a missions trip i can't i couldn't remember the fullness of the story and part of when they were overseas they were working with some of the local folks there and i believe they were digging a well and so they were having to shovel so here was my friend who was big, strong workout type, and they were using hand shovels. And one of the locals who was not as big as him, who was not a workout type, was out digging my friend. And so he could not understand this. He, you know, by size, by exercise, should have, you know, essentially been able to outdig this guy. 
And after a long while, they were on break together. And he says to this local gentleman, he goes, how in the world are you out digging me? Like, I don't, he was also a competitive guy, you know? And he said this profound thought that he said, when I dig, my digging is worship. Mm. Wow. And that phrase began a, the wheels began to spin for my friend. And that started him on a journey of how can work be worship? Have, have you ever thought about work being worship? No, no. <laughs> let, let me be honest. I mean, prior to him telling me that story, yeah. I, I mean, I grew up with the culture along with everybody else. We have songs where everybody's working for the weekend mm -hmm. and Monday is the worst day of the week. Mm -hmm. um, we're all trying to get to Friday and work was... Uh, uh, you know, it was a necessary evil for mm -hmm. a lack of a better word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I remember just hearing people talk about, you know, I can't wait to get to the end of the day or even like today, a really big push for people is how can I make the most money by doing the least amount of work? Mm. How can I, how can I earn more with doing less? And that kind of seems to be the, the current view. I don't know if it's been like that for, for however long, but um, yeah, it's it's kind of a negative view of all forms of work, which, mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense, though, because like we've already shared, work is hard. Yeah. It's not always fun, <laughs> and it doesn't seem to give us uh, exactly what we want. Um, but the thing is, is work's been here since the beginning of time. Yeah, it has been. It, I mean, it's we've never been able to escape it. And what's interesting enough is that, that work, work actually played a part of the creative order of everything that God did, right? God engaged in work. He spoke into being, right? The stars, the the moon, the earth, all of the creatures, um, fashioning even the first humans from the dust of the ground. So work has always been there. And what's really interesting is when we look in scripture, we can see where God is described as working. So I, I don't, I think you've got your Bible too. Yep. Um, if you look in Psalm 8 3, which is right here, we intentionally didn't mark our Bible so that you could hear us flipping the physical, real Bible. We're, we're putting in some work, right? The noise that preachers love to hear. Oh, yes, that's right. Flipping of pages of your Bible. Do you know the, the bigger the Bible, the holier the man, right? Well. That's, that's what I've been told. But I have a really <laughs> thin Bible right now. So. But, but you know, let's look at what Psalm 8.3 here says. Uh, Psalm 8.3 says, When I took your heaven, or excuse me, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. Mm -hmm. I mean, right there, we're being told that God worked to make this a reality. And when we look beyond just the psalm, and we start looking at how God is described, like his character. One thing that we have to keep in mind whenever we talk about God is the words that we use to talk about God matter. The, yes. Everything that we say about God is a part of his character and who he is and what he does. And and scripture has been very uh, pointed at what, what and who God is, what his character is. And, and I think this is really interesting. Um, I, I was looking at one of my my um, 
Bible dictionaries. Uh, I think it's called Ethics and in, 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 uh, Scripture by uh, Joel Green. And I, f- I found this really interesting uh, connection here, um, or list of descriptions, I should say. So God, I want to go through it. God has been described in Scripture as a shepherd protecting his flock from wolves, from seeking the law or seeking the lost and binding the wounds. And that's in Ezekiel um, 34 and John 10. He's described as a housekeeper sweeping the home for the lost coin. And that's in uh, Luke 15, 8. As a vine dresser, tending and pruning the vine, John 15, 1 to 2. As a potter, shaping his people in Isaiah 64, 8. A builder and a watchman in Psalm 127, 1. Mother, painting, or panting in labor in Isaiah 42, 14. Uh, a midwife who takes the child from the womb, Psalm 22, 9. As a judge in Genesis 18, 25. Yeah. Psalm 94, 2. Isaiah 33, and so on. Uh, he's described as a king, I mean, as a ruling authority, as a king uh, in, in the Psalms and in Isaiah. And and finally, I mean, one of the other examples is as a warrior, yes. as a mighty warrior yep. in battle in Exodus and in, and in the Psalms. And that's just a small sample size of all of the descriptive language of God where he's shown to be working. Yeah. And, and so essentially, it would make sense that if God is a worker— or, or he describes himself, I mean, his descriptions are given that he is working. Mm-hmm. It would make sense that the children that are fashioned in his image, in his mm-hmm. likeness, would be workers. Right. Or work would be an integral part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of their lives. Right, as, as, as being image bearers of who God is. If, God is. if God's image is essentially a worker, um, by at least these descriptions, it does make sense that, that those of us who, who bear his image as, as people in the Imago Dei, right, the image of God, would be working as well. Yeah. And I just wanted to say <clears throat> um, something. We were talking a bunch about manual labor and stuff, and that's not to minimize anybody who does office work. I know I've never done it, but just doing my schoolwork and sitting there on the computer sometimes is like, man, you know how nice it would be if I was actually doing hay right now? <laughs> Me being a more, you know hyperactive person. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. So what, I mean, what you're pointing out though, is that mental work is still work. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah. Like no matter what, if you're, if you're working the, the blue collar job, you're typically like, man, I really wish I could have that cushy office job. Or, or if you're in the vice versa, you're in the office, you're like, man, I'd love to be working outside. And there's always, there's always that, oh, that would be so much better. Yeah. And then when you actually do it, you're like, oh, maybe not, <laughs> maybe it's not as good, but yeah. There is sting no matter what. Right. There's sting no matter what. Whether mm-hmm. you do mental work, physical work, there's going to be the element of sting that's going to come, and it's inescapable. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we're looking here at a God who works, and we're now saying as his created order, as his created beings, we would have this integral part of us as work. So it would be helpful for us to go back to the beginning, to look at the original intent of work that's described to us in scripture. And we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter two, and we're going to look at this first created order and what God was doing with work as a way for us to start the conversation and see where we're heading with the redemption of work. So in Genesis chapter two, starting in verse 15, it reads, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress, dress it and keep it. So I read out of the King Jimmy. 
Oh, yeah. Good old King Jimmy here. Yeah, I've got the King James Version. And uh, I've got my ESV here. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to keep it. Right? We're starting to see that kind of that theme. But um, And we wanted to open this up here on the podcast. Just like initial thoughts. What comes to mind when we read Genesis 2.15, and the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it? I think for for me, when I think about this, it it, it it reminds me of of well, first of all, that the Garden of Eden at this point, this is this is pre-fall. Yeah. This is before everything's gone into chaos, and and we're seeing that God's beautiful, perfect, right, His good creation. He says, "This is good," includes work. Yes, and and it reminds me of of when I do funerals. Uh, or when I'm working with a grieving family and I hear them say, you know, my, you know, whoever relative or my friend is now in heaven and they're sitting on the porch and they're watching the sunset for the rest of their lives. And I, and I'm like, that is beautiful, but I think there's more. <laughs> yes. I, I, I think that once, once we see, you know, revelation come to fruition mm-hmm. and the, the, the new heaven and the new earth happen and we're, we're all together worshiping the Lord, I think our worship's going to include work. Amen. I think it's going to go back to what it looked like here at the pre-fall. And so when I read, you know, um, when I read this right here where it says to, that we're supposed to be working to dress it, to keep it, essentially the way that I look at it is our duty right now is to care for what God's given us. Yes. Not sit and let it do whatever it needs to do, but to do something about it. Yeah. And we, we wanted to come with this initial thought on Genesis because some of the cultural presentation of is Adam and Eve in particular are like almost just sitting there in the garden. Mm. And it's more of this, uh, devotional sort of setting, yeah. and they're they're not their original intent with work being an integral part of it. And yet, here we are in the King James. It's saying the word "dress it and keep it," and we're going to dive into those words in just a moment. But work is a good aspect of their life, and it's an integral part of their lives. Right? It's not just that Adam and Eve were put in the garden for some only or exclusive worship and devotional thing as though we'd see if they were having a prayer time right. where they were um, solitary sitting by a rock or a river and they're they're engaging with God in a only moment of we're just going to sit here and pray. Mm-hmm. Works an integral part of what they're doing. It's going to encompass this whole thing called an image bearer. Which is which is interesting to me when we think about like our our modern understanding of what prayer and devotion time looks like. Like most of the time, our prayer and devotion time is, I, all right, I need to set a time, a set aside time in my day where I'm not being you know, distracted, where I'm not doing anything, where I'm sitting still and calm and in peace. And that's really the only place that I can, I can pray, where I can um, have devotion time. But if we think about what worship looked like in, in at least the Old Testament here in Genesis, I mean, part of the, part of the devotion, the worship was physical work. And it, we, we don't have to separate the two. Yeah, absolutely. And in no way are we discouraging anybody from having a solitary prayer time. Yeah. But oh, how, yeah. how exciting is it that when you're taking the trash out, how exciting is it when you're up late at night with a sick child mm. that you can begin to engage yeah. in worship right there? And I mean, a lot of people, even though it's nice to have, you know, prayer time and it's good to have that, 
the likelihood is you're not going to be doing that all day. You really have to work to eat. You really yeah. have to take care of sick yeah. kids. And, you know, it would be miserable even more if you, you know, if that wasn't something that would please God and was, you know what I mean? And yeah. Yeah, just if, doing if, it. If you could only pray and, right. and have that it during that silent time. I mean, think about what Paul says. Paul says to pray without ceasing. Right. Pray without ceasing. And, and sometimes we hear that and we're like, well, how am I supposed to do that when I have to work? Exactly. Put it together. Yeah. And it's yeah. right here. But you said that there were some words that you wanted to yeah, kind of focus I, I, on here. Yeah, and this is pretty much where we're going to begin to springboard into this um, is this word dress it um, in in the Hebrew that give us the Hebrew <laughs> as best as you can translate it literally. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so looking at like the lexical form of it, like, you know, when you see it without all the other added stuff to it, um, it's called, uh, the word is Yavad. Yavad. Um, now, I'm I'm not a Hebrew scholar <laughs> by any means. I took one class. Um, I, I know very little. But uh, so if I butcher the translation or the... Um, the pronunciation, you'll have to forgive me. But yeah, I think I'm pretty sure it's it's Yavad. Yeah. yeah. And so if you want to look this up in a concordance in Strong's, it's H number 5647. And it translates um, a number of ways in the original Hebrew. So in the King James, it's translated 227 times to serve. Okay. 15 times to till. Nine times as servant. Five times as work. And here's the one going back to our original story with my friend who was on this missions trip and the guy digging holes is saying that when he digs holes, he's worshiping. It can actually be translated five times in the King James as worshiper. Mm. And I began when that, when that thought first came to me, I started to, it, it was like fireworks going off in my head because Work was the sting of boring, hard, ridiculous, redundant, whatever adjective we're throwing in there. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden now it can be worship. And it it opened my mind to this original intent because as Adam is essentially gardening or farming, however we want to use this word, he is worshiping. Mm-hmm. He is, when he's tilling the ground, if you live anywhere in South Central PA, it grows weeds really well. Yeah. Really well. So as he's weeding, as he is protecting um, all that God's giving him, um, he's worshiping. Right. He's worshiping. And if that's the original intent of work, that's something that can be pretty exciting. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, even, you know, we're, and we're talking about the, the King James translation with that, but even like in, in, in my, in the translation I have here in the ESV where it's, you know, the word that they use is work it. Right. Yeah. So even at that, at that basic level there to work, it is to worship. Yes. Um, and, and it's just, uh, it's just amazing. Cause you, you just don't think about that. Yeah. You, you really don't when you're first dealing with work, you're like, man, this, there's no way that this is worshiping God, especially depending on what that work is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then and then there was the second word. The second word is to keep it. And let's get our Hebrew. Oh, yeah. So the, the, the to keep it, uh, which in, in this one I had it, well, it's, it's still is to keep it in the ESV, um, is, is Shamar. Shamar. Yeah. And this is Strong's number in your concordance, H8104. And we're telling you these numbers in this podcast, in a future podcast, because we want you to be good Bereans and check up on us. <laughs> yeah. Make sure we're not using the proverbial, oh, that's in the Greek or the Hebrew and we're mm-hmm. making stuff up. We want you to check on us. Yeah. So this word, keep it, is to 
uh, watch preserve and it has military sort of connotations of the keep is the old word like say for garrison or fortress so again this aspect of work of farming protecting uh keeping is worship to god it is a part of his original intent and function for work hmm. and this was not lost on the first hebrew hearing uh listeners or readers in ancient near eastern culture a lot of this has rhetoric and language that would be similar in ancient Near Eastern culture to the priesthood of work. Adam and Eve are in the garden. It's obvious that God's special presence dwells there. And their priestly work, if you will, is it's holy and it's going to involve not just sitting and still, you know, sitting down and, and, and having a, a devotional time. And of course, it's not doing nothing. Mm-hmm. They're there to work as priests. They're there to sustain. They're there to help God mm. in managing His creation. So they're working. They're working alongside God. Yeah, mm. in in partnership. And again, this was not an uncommon um, ancient Near Eastern culture idea. So when they first heard this story, it would have clicked. Mm. It would have made sense to them. And when, you, especially if you read the work of the Levitical priest, it is very hands-on. Mm-hmm. It is manual labor at times, intensive. And this wouldn't have been lost to them to go, oh, I'm a farmer. I'm a gardener. I'm having to be in the, the keep and, the, and the, um, the watch sort of mentality. If Adam and Eve were called to it, I'm, I'm called to it. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, too, is it's just kind of off the top of my head, but you think about a lot of the parables that Jesus uses has to do with some sort of work. Yeah. Some, I mean, not all of them, of course, but some of them, I mean, they, they have to do with some physical labor, some work that relates to the people that he's talking to. Yes. So even in Jesus's teachings, work is an, is an essential part, but, but kind of going back, you know, this is, this is pre-fall. We, as we, we know, it's, you know, kind of in the, in, uh, in uh, Genesis two fifteen here, this is before, uh, uh, we have fallen before sin has entered in. And so it, would it be safe to say that work wasn't originally hard or maybe like it wasn't toilsome? Yeah. What we're really looking at and driving at is that we know for sure work is not cursed. Mm, okay. So it may have been hard um, and it could have been, you know, maybe a little toilsome for Adam and Eve, but maybe it, it wasn't cursed. Yeah, for okay. sure. Okay. Um, and that, that, that cursing doesn't really happen until the fall. Right. Right. Okay. Right. So, so if we look at uh, Genesis chapter three here. Uh, what is it, 17 to 19, and then 23 to uh, 24. Uh, well, here, here's what it says. Uh, so starting at 17, and to Adam he said, so this is God speaking to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Mm. Um, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it. You were taken for you are dust and to dust. You shall return. We're right. in we're in Lent, right? You know, post Ash Wednesday, you should have heard that uh, just recently. Uh, and then picking up at 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So, Josh, let me put you right on the spot there. 
what did you hear in that language that was sting, cursed, painful? Like what what popped up? Well, you're going to have to, you know, work by the sweat of your brow. Yeah, you know? sweat. Uh, thorns and thistles. I mean, as a garden, you know, a farmer guy, when you – like the plants grow so slow compared to what it feels like the thorns grow. I mm. mean – and all that stuff, they just – they grow up everywhere. We have a creek by our house, and just trying to walk through there is unbelievable because of the amount of thorns and stuff that grow. Absolutely, absolutely. And and his his work now is sweaty. It's full of thorns and thistles. It's cursed. Mm. And then ultimately, his ability to have a divine connection in a way that is super special by twenty three and twenty four, it's all messed up. By verse 23 and 24, it's, yeah. it's just messed up. And, and what's really interesting here, going back to verse 17, um, is it said right at the end of it, right before we get to 18, it says, in pain, pain. in pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Yeah. So it's so it's essentially saying, you know, coming at it from the, the, the knowing the work that Adam was doing, that to survive, right? Because at this point, he has to eat to survive. Yes. So so now you're, he's being told in the pain of your work and the toilsome and the sweat of your brow, that is how you have to eat, that you're going to be working to survive. Yeah. It's changed the whole complexity of what work is. Yeah. It's no longer working simply to keep God happy, to worship God, to maintain the land for him and with him. Now it's to survive. And there's this, this fracturing where and we hear this a lot in our own culture work is one of the main things that is complain worthy so instead of it being a vehicle or a door of grace mm. for them to connect with god to love people to experience blessing it becomes like one of the ultimate burdens to complain about and you know what's interesting about that is almost immediately after we read uh, verse 24 here the very first thing that we read about is what Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, yeah. right? And and essentially that's what happens there is you have you have Abel who is pleasing God uh, and he's sacrificing to God and, and what is his job? Abel? Yeah. Yeah, he's a farmer. He's a farmer. Yeah. Right? He's keeping he's keeping the sheep, right? It's it, it it's there. And then and then we have Cain and what is Cain's job? He's another farmer, but he's 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 tilling the ground where Abel's doing the flock work. Right. Yeah. And, and, and and I mean I've never had animals. But I would imagine that it's probably a bit more physically demanding to toil over the ground than it might be to to feed the sheep, to keep them all together, to do whatever it is a shepherd might do. I don't know. They're both ridiculously hard. They, they are. We, okay. we 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 have, we have been in the animal husbandry side, and uh-huh. we've done the especially on the organic farming side. Oh my! Let yeah. me just say both to oh my. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but we see there that they start like Cain is starting to compare his work to Abel's. Right? Yes, and and the sacrifice that 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 Abel gives, and Abel's sacrifice, what he gives to God, God, you know, we're told that it pleases God, yep. that God cherishes this sacrifice, and then not so much Cain. And so, what's Cain's response to it? Well, he's he's upset at his brother so much that he murders him. Yeah, right. And then he wants to go into this dialogue with God of, well, am I my brother's keeper? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of leave me alone. You know. Yeah, it, it's uh, 
it's quite strange that we go in this in this narrative in this biblical narrative here. We go from work being this beautiful expression of worship to God yeah. to work leading to murder. Yeah, and this is what's pretty profound about this is that work was so special. It's the first thing that God curses for man. Mm. And then the first story is included a cursed work experience. So you have Abel and Cain, it's centered around their work. One is doing it as a way to offer worship to God, to offer the best that he has to God. And the other one is this story of uh, shadow. It's Mm. this story of, uh, I'm not going to give a worship that pleases God. I'm going to do it my way. And so the fracturing in a compare and contrast is set right before us. Mm. And so the story for us is it's, it's what is going on with work. There's, there's, it's obvious. It's not supposed to lead to murder. No, it's not supposed to lead to a, a curse with God and a fracturing, continuing fracturing with God over this, this style of worship. So heart and, and work are connected together. One has the opportunity to bring us uh, a chance to worship God and glorify God. And if it's done wrongly, the negative and harmful cursed repercussions are clear in Cain's life. Mm-hmm. And, and we see that uh, kind of God almost uh, elaborating a bit more on work later on in Exodus. Yeah. Um, right in uh, what is Exodus 19 mm-hmm. uh, verses 5 to 6. So right here, you know, kind of set in the picture, we have we have um, God speaking um, speaking to Israel, right, um, on, the, on Mount Sinai, and he's speaking to Israel through whom? Say that again. So God is speaking to Israel, the nation of Israel through whom? Moses. Moses, right. They're up on this mountain, and, and what does he say? Okay, so Moses is on the mountain in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, not, excuse me. God is speaking to Moses on Exodus uh, 19, 5 and 6, and he relates to Moses here. He says this profound thing because essentially God is trying to connect the concept of to worship and to serve these these two um, pivotal things. So he says, now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you'll be my own people. The whole earth is mine, but you will be my chosen people, a people dedicated to me alone, and you will serve me as priests. Mm. So Moses went down and called the leaders of the people together and told them everything that the Lord had commanded him. Now, here's a, here's a thought for us to chew on that there is only one Levitical tribe that can function in, in, in a priestly role in, in this um, deliberate and uh, clear uh, sacrificial system, if you will, uh, that is, is laid out for us in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. The other 11, and I'm just going to use a, a phrase of like butcher, baker, candlestick maker. They're everyday folks that are not in the tent of meeting or are eventually going to be in the tabernacle. And yet God is calling them to do the worship and the serving, the connecting of both. Of course, they're going to offer their sacrifices. They're mm-hmm. going to go to the temple. They're going to go to the tents. But they're also going to be called to serve him as the butcher, baker, and candlestick maker and in such a way as to worship, mm. to be a kingdom of priests. So you have a, a select group, a select tribe that is going to be priest, but they're all as a nation as priests 
and the other 11 are going to do it as butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Now, I, I know that I'm just using a phrase there, butcher, yeah. baker, candlestick yeah, yeah. maker, to summarize all the jobs that were going on. Right. And, and essentially what's happening is is God is saying that you are going to worship me through these fields of work. That's right. Uh, through these lines of work. And and, and I want to look at Colossians uh, for a second. Colossians 3.17. Uh, it says here, I mean, this is Paul. He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, right? So we're talking to the priests. We're talking to the to the, what did you say? The... The candle maker. The, the butcher, baker, and candlestick maker. Butcher, baker, candlestick maker. He's saying, in whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Yeah. And that is massive. Yeah, because <laughs> what we're looking at is if we look at the collective story of Israel, they really didn't do this well. No. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we're, we're looking at people at times who tried and other times they didn't try and a lot of failure. So how is redemption going to happen? How is it going to occur that we can actually do the job of worship and serving the Lord, our God and giving him glory and the redemption comes in the person of Christ. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing is, is, is we are, we are called to resemble Christ in everything that we do and everything that we say. And that, I mean, that's exactly what, what Paul is saying here, and whatever you do in order to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, right? It's supposed to resemble him. But here's the thing is G- everything that Jesus did glorified the Father. Yeah. And what did Jesus do before his ministry? Yeah. So redemptively, right out the gate, we see him working with his dad. Mm. He's working with Joseph. His very life begins the sanctification process, if you will the redemption process of the everyday experiences we're all going to have, such as work. Mm. So we have him, we don't know after, you know, 12 year, when he's 12 years old and he's in the temple experience, but it was custom. It was custom that whatever your dad did, you were going to do. Right. You were going to work in the family business. So the, the, the experience that Jesus has as a worker, as a carpenter from Nazareth, is beginning this process of redeeming work, right? And then, and then after after this this line of physical work with his with with his father, right? We have Jesus uh, beginning his ministry. We have that that time period of Jesus entering into his ministry work, which happens right, you know, after he's baptized and, and he's getting, given the spirit, the spirit descends upon him like a dove. And that's when he begins this ministry work. So his work is shifting from carpentry work and, and labor work um, in, in that sense to the work of ministry in, in the healing and the preaching, the teaching, the walking around, the sitting with people, the, I mean, all of this stuff, he's still working. He's still physically doing things. You know, Jesus didn't levitate over the ground as he went from city to city mm-hmm. to heal people. Mm-hmm. He, he walked through the dirt. He walked through the, the, the land and the fields. Uh, he got hungry. He got tired. He probably got sick. And he's still doing all of this as, as an expression of worship to God. Um, but there's something more that he does. Ultimately, we see the greatest example of his work in his passion and the death on the cross mm. and resurrection. Yeah, He talks this way in the Gospel of John about the work of God is to do the will of him who sent him. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, this work is leading towards his death on the cross and, and his labor on the cross, if you will. And we're using that word intentionally because... What's it going to do that? It's, it brings salvation. 
yeah. to those who believe in him. That's the fruit of his labor. Yeah, I loved it when we were talking about that. You brought that up. It is the fruit of his labor, mm. his bloody, sweaty labor. And I mean, this is the wonder of the incarnation. Jesus is in the garden and scripture teaches us that he begins to sweat great drops of blood. Well, mm-hmm. if you read the Old Testament, we have the first Adam and what's happening to him, Josh, when he's cursed, he's going to get food by the sweat of his brow. Of his brow. Mm-hmm. The second Adam is working in the garden and his blood mingles with sweat. Mm-hmm. So the curse is beginning to get reversed and redeemed. Mm. And ultimately, that bloody sweat leads to the labor that gives us our very salvation. For those who believe in him, yep. it's salvation. It's, it's, the, it's the breaking of the chain of sin. Amen. It's the conquering of sin and death. I mean, that, if, you th- if you think of that, that wording, none of that sounds easy, does it? To no. conquer sin and death, there is labor in that. And that's what Jesus does. That is the ultimate thing. And I, I firmly believe this. I believe that blood can reverse the curse and the sting that we have on everyday work. Mm. I firmly believe that. I believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the life of Jesus Christ, what Paul is talking about in the name of Jesus, we can do this under the glory of God. Mm. We can. So if we're so if we're working in our everyday jobs and whatever we're doing, and it's done in the name of Jesus, if it's done for his glory, if it's done for his honor, what we're saying is that the blood of Jesus can make this work a little less painful. Yeah. I mean, a little less uh, awful, <laughs> depending on what it is. It, it can make it bearable. I mean, maybe not fun all the time, but I can do this. And I would say worth it. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, why? Like, you know, you get up and you go do something and at some point you're like, why? You know, why? That's usually the biggest question. Why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, we're here because, you know, we can worship and we can, you know, that's, that's what God wants us to do. And that's right. And that's worth it. It has meaning. Yeah. It has perspective now that what I'm doing is not menial. It is not for the sake of me being in, in just like some sort of suffering, ridiculous place. It has purpose. It has purpose to glorify God. And we're going to get into this in a little bit, but it, it, it has divine purpose now added to it that Christ himself entered into. He didn't just stay afar off. Yeah. He came right in the mix and he started to work. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like um, when you think about a restaurant owner, right? And you, you, you would imagine that the restaurant owner could just hire a bunch of people to sit there and do, do all the work. But you, you think of like a small restaurant owner who you see stepping out from behind the counter, stepping out from the office to wipe down tables, to refill people's drinks, to say, thanks for coming. It's kind of that same kind of concept where Jesus could have stepped back and said, no, you guys, this is your curse. Mm -hmm. This is what you deserve. Yeah. Good luck. Yep. But instead he embraced that and he took it on for us. All for love. And and, and the interesting, yeah, the interesting thing here is that in, in looking at work and all this, you know, we have to wonder what does it mean for us today? Yeah. What, I mean, we've, we've talked about what it, what it looks like in scripture, what it's looked like historically, but what does it mean for us today? And, and the thing is, is that God, God worked, you know, we've talked about, he's described as a worker and as his image bearers, as people who take on the image of God, we get something out of our work and God gets something out of our work, no yes. matter how small it seems to us. 
as long as the basis of that work is worship to God. And even if it comes with suffering, even if it comes with the sting, and it will, we're, we are doing what our Heavenly Father is doing. He's always mm-hmm. at work. Yeah. And when, when, when God is described as a worker and we're working, we're, we are following the, the path of our Father. We're following the, the path of Jesus. We're working because he works. Mm. And we rest because he rested. Yes. And yes. That, that's an important thing that, that we often forget to do in our work is to in, intentionally rest. But when we think about work, I, I, I mean, Thomas Aquinas, right? What did he say? He's answering this question of why does it matter? Yeah. What why, am I, get- why am I doing this? What do I get out of it? Yeah. yeah. So obviously uh, you get to eat. And right. this is repeated in the New Testament that if a man doesn't work, mm-hmm. he doesn't eat. Right. And it's the same thing that, that God tells Adam, right? Yep. yep. Uh, he, he, you now have the ability to give to the needy. Okay. Which again is a an, a direct way to advance the kingdom of God. Right. So our so our work is to help us eat, feed ourselves, to help the people around us. Yes. Yes. It removes idleness, mm. and we should probably just take a second because idleness is not a normal word that's used. Right. What is idleness? It is doing nothing. Yes. It is. It you know it, what what is that saying? It was uh, um, the idle hands or the devil's playground or yes. something like that, right? Yes. It, I mean, I I was actually talking to a friend of mine who, um, who is a counselor. And we were talking about this topic, you know, where he was like, Hey, what are you guys doing on your first podcast episode? And I'm sharing with this. And he says, you know, a lot of the clients that I have come in that, that are, that are struggling with depression and anxiety and, and just everyday issues are people who don't have jobs, mm. people who don't work. And that is so, it doesn't seem right to us. We think, oh man, you don't have to work. That must be great. You can sit around and do nothing. You're, you know, you're getting money and things from these people. But the reality is Idleness is not good for us. Yes. It is not good for us. It, it is deadly for, for us. It has a sister word called sloth. Yeah. Which is another old school word. Mm-hmm. But these are things that you don't want said about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we yeah. don't want to be described as Mike the sloth yep. or Mike the idle one. Yeah. Because it opens up the door mm-hmm. for things that not only are they harmful for us, but ultimately we're, 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 we're harming others because we're not getting in a chance to be productive and give to the needy. But really we're, we're in, and we'll look at this a little bit later on about this is a part of lordship. Yeah. Christ is commanding us to be workers in his kingdom at some participatory level. Yeah. And we'll get into this a little bit later on. But yeah, it, it's going to remove idleness. Um, it's going to curb the inordinate, Des, uh, desires we have, um, the the uh, the immorality that comes by way of being idle. Mm-hmm. You know, we see this with King David. Yeah, he's being idle at one point in his kingship, and he should have been out to war with his people. And we all know the story of Bathsheba. It yep. ends really bad. Yeah, and it, he disobeys God. Mm-hmm. Murder gets involved. Adultery gets involved, and it starts with this crazy thing of him not doing what kings ought to do in, in, in their sphere of influence and authority. Right. And, and, and the thing is, is Aquinas was born almost 800 years ago, right? He's, he's, he's born in the 13th century. Right. 
and and the word that he uses here is a word that neither Mike and I could say pronounce confidently. So the, one of the one of the other words you can place in here is sexual desire and lust. Right. And I think that is such it, it's profound that Aquinas is saying that that idleness can lead to this, yeah. like not working can lead to this. Because look at everything around us today. Everything around us today is just filled with sex and lust and 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 trying to draw you in, yeah. right? Um, and and think about think about the amount of adultery we see even in in marriages. Um, and and I have no statistics to say that people who are not working are more inclined to to fall into these temptations. But it's I mean, according to Aquinas here. That is a, a pretty direct thing. We're working to avoid doing that. One of the ancient practices of the church for those who took vows of celibacy, mm-hmm. especially as monks, was to work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean— So wait, wait, wait. So monks don't just sit around and and hum at each other? Well, depending on what your order is, <laughs> yeah. wh- whatever you've given yourself to in your monastic vows. But one of the ways that they curbed the, uh, the desires to do— um, fornication mm-hmm. to get into sexual immorality was to work. And we know that when we are, uh, number one, more satisfied with the production that we're giving to ourselves and to others, and we're just dog tired, we're less likely to do stupid things. Yeah. In fact, with the monks, one of the uh, famous examples is this guy who's actually pretty modern, who uh, he was a genius with plants and uh, he was a gardener guy and he figured out the, all this genetic coding and stuff with plants because he'd work with them and he figured out what plants did what and he was a monk and that's yeah. uh, one of the famous fathers of science with the you know genes and stuff so that was a big job yeah it's a, it's amazing what happens when you're productive yeah. how how god blesses that and and here you know we were talking um, about one of the one of the benefits why does this matter that we may not know the statistics right but I, I think we're I think we're pretty clear on just like a natural law sort of level that when we're being productive and we're doing the most good, we've got a greater chance for not only good things to happen, but it opens us up to good things. Yeah, and and, and it helps us to avoid the bad. Yeah, I I, I don't uh, know yeah. about I mean I don't know about you, but you guys, but we're three guys sitting here, and we can't we can't ignore the fact that that lust is not a real thing. I mean, it, it's not you can't ignore that. And I know for me personally, if, if I have too much time on my hands to sit and I do nothing, that sexual desire, that lust, it starts creeping in more. It really does. Boredom, I mean, is the, is the number one reason why people start looking at pornography. Hmm. I mean, as, as a consistent thing is they, they, they're sitting there doing nothing and like, I'm, I need some satisfaction right now. And instead of finding satisfaction in scripture reading and in work and in just being with other people, that's such an easy doorway. Oh, the blessing of work. It is. It, 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 oh, you don't think about work. it, but the, <laughs> the more time you're at work, the less time you're looking on the internet at, mm. at some pretty bad things. And, yeah. and, and also, the more time you're at work, the less time you're spending watching Netflix. And I bring that up for a very specific reason. Larissa, my wife and I, uh, every once in a while, we'll, we'll go on and say, let's let's try a different movie. Let's try a different show, and we'll turn it on. And I can't even begin to tell you how many shows and movies we turn on on Netflix now where within the first episode or the first 20 minutes, there's nudity. Yeah. And there's 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 sexual uh, themes. And and it's just, it's just 
appalling how quick it, it's there. And, and, and it's n- it almost never, actually, it really never adds into the, to the story. The content of the story. No, yeah. not at all. But it's there. And you, it's like you can't even escape it. You can't turn on a show without, boom, there it is. It's just it's just And here, bizarre. right out the gate, you want something practical for practical priesthood? Yeah. Work. Yeah. Work. Do something. Even even if, and we can, we'll touch on it a little bit later, mm-hmm. but it doesn't even mean that you have to go get a job. Right. Where you're doing an exchange for labor and money. Right. But we'll, we'll, we'll touch we'll get on that. There. But I, I want to kind of, you know, we're, we've been talking about kind of church history here and, and some of the, some of the um, figureheads and stuff. So we've got something from one of the popes, John Paul II. Um, he had a work called On Human Work. And in this, he claims that through their work, humans join in the redemptive work of Christ. And this is exactly what he says. Amen. He says, by enduring the toil of work in union with Christ crucified for us, man, in a way, collaborates with the Son of God for the redemption of humanity. Can, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, man, this is just... Get your meat and taters and fork right here. <laughs> this is just some good eating right here. Yeah, I, I, on some of the most practical levels, we get to see that by enduring the toil of work in union with Christ crucified for us, we collaborate with redemption. Practical right out the gate. Mm-hmm. We are providing for the needs of our own families mm-hmm. right out the gate, which is an automatic way to serve and love somebody else. This is completely Jesus stuff. Mm-hmm. Then once we're able to take care of our own, which Paul talks about this later when he says, if a man doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, So we're providing for our own because this is what Jesus did. Jesus provided for his own, giving up his own blood, his own to, to, to redeem the world. Then we get to have eyes to redeem others because we now have money. We now have labor. We now have something to give them to help lift them up out of their darkness, to lift them up out of their challenges, their negativity, whatever it is. So we're beginning to redeem the world. And if we're also looking at the ability to do something good, hearkening back to our Genesis, that everything God worked and did was good, when we produce something good, we're releasing aspects of God's virtue and nature into his created order. Hmm. And it, and the interesting thing here is that in reflecting on that, that there's a big threat today. There's a big threat. I mean, there's always been a big threat, but there's a big threat to to us in the faith and re- regarding work. If we look at work as only as a means of, of more money and gaining prestige in society yeah. and not as a reflection of Christ. If we're if, if our work is focused on money and prestige and not on worshiping God, I think that's one of the greatest threats that we have. Yeah. I mean as far as work goes. On a natural level, the degradation of society, one of the one of the main ways it's degraded is not having work as a part of a central role. I mean, if you go back and look at Rome in its inception, Work was an integral part of what it meant to be a productive citizen to where it's fall. One of the key aspects is let's get everybody to the Circus Maximus, to the Coliseum for bread and games. Mm. So focus is beginning to shift even on a natural level, moving apart from anything necessarily spiritual. A degrading of culture is going to occur for those who, who say work's not important. 
on, on a direct Christian level, if we are saying that work is all about money and gaining more money and then getting greater titles, greater positions, more mm-hmm. prestige, it's going to threaten our Christianity because really what we're doing is we're getting into the love of mammon. Uh, I mean, yeah. let's let's just be honest. There there is a exaltation then at that point where where money is becoming our god. What is the root of all evil? The love of money. The love of money. Yeah. There we go. And and and, and really, and that's not to say that money in itself is evil, no. right? I mean, no. let's let's look back at um, one of John Wesley's sermons here. Right, he has a sermon called "The Use of Money." Yep. Uh, it's a brilliant sermon. I mean, one I, I read this sermon the first time ever, and I immediately fell in love with what he had to say in here. And essentially what, what Wesley is saying is that we need to earn all that we can. We need to earn all that we can, save all that we can. And most importantly, we need to give all that we can. Come on, preacher. Um, and there's there, now those are three important things. And, and, and honestly, we could have an entire podcast episode about oh, yeah. earning, saving, and giving. But I want to oh, let's talk about gaining a little bit on, on some of the, the the things that he says that I just think are so profound. So he says to gain all that you can, right? And I'm going to paraphrase some of it: not at the expense of life, mm-hmm. nor at the expense of our health. So we, we need to be careful there. And that's part of the intentional rest is making sure that we're not harming ourselves physically by doing this. Um, second, you know, we need to do it without depriving ourselves of what he says is proper seasons of food and sleep in such a proportion as our nature requires. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that you, you know, sometimes your job requires you to skip lunch or, or oh, you've got to work a little bit of overtime. That's not what it's saying. It's it prolonged seasons. If you've been working for 36 straight hours without eating or sleeping, that is not good for you. <laughs> that is not okay. And if yes. your employer is making you do that, you need to have a conversation with them. Um, and if they're not going to let you do it, that's a moment where you have to wonder, is it better for me to make this money, to have this prestige, or to step away from this? Mm-hmm. Um, he goes on to say that you should earn all that you can without hurting your mind more uh, any more than your body. So if, if your work is is depleting your mental state, or or even example, you know, if you're working for somebody or in a job where you are just coming home and you're feeling empty, depressed, full of anxiety, and and it and it's destroying your mental health, why stay? Definitely a need for adjustment at, at the basics, being able to have conversations like what's going on. Yeah, and, and that's and that's where Christian employers need to step in uh, with their employees and, and look at them and say, how are you doing? Mm. And have a genuine care for, for their employees. Um, but, but he goes on to say that you should earn all that you can without hurting your neighbor. Yeah. And, and, and you th- I mean, think about that. I mean, you, you should be doing all that you can to earn your money. But if the labor that you're doing, if the work that you're doing is causing harm to your neighbor. Right. And this isn't just proximal neighbor, right? This is the, all of us as neighbors, right? Yeah. Um, to do so without harming others and as best as we can. Now, this isn't to say that if your work is, is military or police or where you have to use force, it's not saying that you should, you should quit doing right, that. Right. But it, it, if, you're, if your focus in gaining more money is, I want to make sure that my neighbor loses their home so that I can buy it, flip it, and you know, sell it. Absolutely. If you're doing every, everything that you can to make that happen, that's the problem. And I would even say on a lesser level um, – if you know you're coming home every night 
extremely grumpy and frustrated every night consistently, you know, because you're working too much or something like that. And, you you know, those, or, you know, maybe you should consider something to help you, you know, not be so down, you know, or yeah. yeah, or if you're coming home with that and that and your work is causing you to have that attitude at home, you're, I mean, you could be harming your neighbor as in your children mm-hmm. or your spouse. I mean, it, it, it can, it can play a role there. Yeah. And what I think we're looking at here is it could be an adjustment of balance. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it could be a, a, a situation where we need to make an assessment of our attitudes mm-hmm. personally, what we need to do. And of course, we may need to look at the fact that maybe this job is not going to work out for me long term. Right. And there's wisdom in all this. And right. I I cannot agree with Thaddeus more. Google this sermon. Yeah. Read it in its entirety. Yeah. It is full of good balance and good truth, grace, mm-hmm. all of it. It, it. It's packed. It's loaded. But there's a there's a couple of more key key points here that I think would be good to to kind of go through. Yeah. Um. You know, John Wesley says to to earn all that you can by common sense by using in your business all the understanding which God has given you. Yes. I mean that that's big. He says, um, to um to work as as best as you can with everything that God has given you. Amen. Um, you know, you should be valuing um, human being, not human doing. Yes. And Wesley is going to then say, give all you can. Because mm-hmm. if we're going to have this work ethic that becomes, it, culturally it was called either the Protestant work ethic or the Christian work ethic, you're going to begin to gain money and save money. But it's not about hoarding. Mm-hmm. We're not laying up treasure where moth and rust are going to set in. Mm-hmm. We're trying to build up our treasure in heaven. And any student of Wesley knows that giving is a integral part mm-hmm. of advancing the kingdom of God. Taking those resources, whatever they may be that you have made, and taking them and transferring them in such a way that the glory and the kingdom of God is going to come to the poor. It's going to come to your neighbor. It's going to come to your wife, your kids. It is a tool that you're going to use now to transform other people's lives in Jesus name. And I don't I don't know if it I don't remember if it's directly in the sermon or not, but but um one of the one of the kind of the themes of this that he that he teaches that Wesley teaches is um if if I am able and I'm I'm now I'm paraphrasing and making some stuff up here to to get the point across. If I'm making if I can live off of for example, $2,000 a month, mm-hmm. right? If I've been able to establish a routine that allows me to live off of $2,000 a month and I get a job or I get a pay raise that now gives me $3,000 a month, what Wesley would say is that you should still continue to live off of the 2000 that you're making, maybe put $500 of that extra stuff away and spend the other 500 for those who need, giving it to the people who are in need. And if later on you get a job or you get a promotion that you're $4,000 a month, Live off of the two thousand, save a thousand, give a thousand. He, he's saying as your income exponentially grows and, and increases, so should your saving and your giving. And that really hit me. Mm. Um, once once Larissa and I got married, and we started, you know, really just looking at our assets and our money and what we earn together. One of our goals every year when we prepare our taxes is to look at what we're giving. And if we are not giving more than we did the year before, it it hurts us. Mm. I mean, we 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 and we ask God to forgive us. Um, and, and when there is, I I'll tell you my one of my favorite things when I, I hate doing taxes. I mean, I hate it, but I have to do it. And when I'm sitting down preparing my taxes and I'm getting everything together for the guy that actually does <laughs> the hard work, 
I look at what we give and every year I write it, I write it down and make a list. And I, and this is just the, the, the stuff that, that we give that's tax, you know, deductible. Right. And I go out to Larissa and I say, this is what we gave this year. And this is what we gave last year. And if it, and, and when it's more, I feel so happy. Mm-hmm. I feel better. Um, and this isn't, I'm not doing this. I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm saying that, that we made it very early on in our marriage, in our relationship, we made it a point that we, that no matter how much we earn, we should be trying to give more of it away to people who are in need, to people who, who need the assistance. Yeah. Because remember the words of the Lord Jesus, mm-hmm. it is more blessed to give than to receive, than to receive. Cause you're, what you're saying is that work and its ability to produce those resources, those fruit. And when you give it away, there is the blessing that comes to you. I mean, this is a promise. It really is precious promise. And and all of this to say that this is done with and through people who have the blue collar jobs. Yes. Who have the white collar jobs, who 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 even have the jobs at home. Yep. Right? Yep. Think about your stay at home parents. I it, mean, you you are a man who has a wife with nine children. Yes. I mean, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, we we don't want to um, relate a message of condemnation here. That yeah. if you're not doing a particular type of work, aka a exchange for labor, uh, for resources or money, that you're somehow less than mm-hmm. um, uh, somebody else, and that you can't take that work, whatever it may be, in whatever calling you're in, as worship before God, and so. The stay-at-home parent, in particular, right there out of the gate, you know, is an ability to be a living sacrifice. As you're laying down your life for your kids, as you're laying down your life for others to prosper right in your own home, this is an ability to worship. Mm. And even if you're a person with a disability and you're not able to, because of any disability in your life, do something where you want to do the exchange for labor for resources and you may have been in a car accident you may be in chemotherapy right now you can still do a work for god mm-hmm. you can be a, you can be um giving and and in such a way with your life by praying for others in intercessory prayer mm-hmm. the the way that you're interacting with those around you where your focus is lord how can i give something in their life how can i produce something in their life that will bless them. And uh, there are so many stories of individuals with disabilities who are advancing the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And it's in whatever percentage or, or um, degree and scale that they're at, they're just determined. They're determined to partner with God in working with him at whatever stage and degree that they're in. So we, we want to um, uphold all of the varieties and seasons of life that we're all in. Yeah, yeah, and, and you, because you think about you think about people who have worked their entire life in the in the in the world of exchange of labor for goods. Yes, they get to a point where they can't do it anymore. Right, or or maybe they're not allowed to do it anymore. And and you know we we want to make sure that if that's if you are that person or you know someone like that, we're not saying that 
that because you're no longer working for an exchange of goods, that you're, whatever you're doing is meaningless. Right. That there is great importance in, in all work for God. And, and the reality is, is as long as whatever, what, as long as whatever we're doing is for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ, that is good, valuable work. Yeah. And, and it's, it's essential work. It's worship because mm-hmm. there's work all around you. If it, if it means again, praying on the prayer list for your church's needs, if it means looking directly at your immediate family and what's going on there and how you can serve them. Again, if you're bedridden and you can't get out of bed and you can pray, you can do these breath prayers. You can pick up, if you can, you can pick up the phone, call someone and say, hey, I've been thinking about you. What can I do to pray for you? Um, Write a card. I mean, there's, there is so much that we can be doing, that people can be doing. Yes, and we want to value that, and we mm-hmm. want to lift that up and say, there's an ability for you to worship God there. Yeah, and you know, we may not be dying for the sins of others, right? Uh, but our work is worship, and it is glorifying God, no matter what it is. Yeah. Um, as long as it's done with the intent of God, and it's not work that strays away from the teachings of God, you know, in in in, in the negative, in the negative way, of course. Um, but because of that, because of us working, we're living into our original intention as as being image bearers of God. Yeah. And and if we work uh, with the intent of of honoring and of worshiping God, it does something amazing that we did not touch on. It spreads the gospel of Amen. Jesus Christ. Amen. And th- and that is every every line of work that if it is if it is done in the honor and glory of God. It will spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, let people see your good deeds, mm. and they will praise your Father in heaven. Mm. And this is one of the glories of the gospel, that it can get right down into the nitty-gritty. It can get into the thorns and thistles, and it can redeem it. Mm. And it has the ability to exalt, honor, reveal who God is. Mm. And I mean, we talked in the beginning of the episode on on one of the some of the practical tips of work let me just let me let me let me let me share um, some of the things over the years that i have seen be really helpful for me when things still have the sting on them of sweatiness um and and you may be sitting there going that's nice but what are some practical things i could do to help me in the the jobs that i'm in or the places that i'm at i want to tell you one of the great ways to make work an avenue of worship is singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord while you're working. Mm. Now, it doesn't mean you're on the factory line or at midnight when you're holding that baby, rocking the baby to sleep, that you're going to belt out a solo yeah, yeah. and uh, practice um, uh, your, your, your future YouTube stardom. <laughs> but singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord helps make a sweetness on what's going on in your work. Yeah. Um, I, another one that comes to mind, I'm obviously a people person, but community and the ability to share in uh, the, the team mentality also allows for the work to be done um, uh, a little sweeter, a mm-hmm. little bit more of a blessing. So focusing on how can I do this with, my, with people, with my friends, if it's possible, or in the greatest harmony with the people that are around me. Um, another thing is to be able to take opportunities to pray while you work. Um, the, 
in, in your case, when you were back in the factory jobs and others who are doing similar type jobs, if you're holding something in your hand and, and it's going to touch other people's hands, Lord, may this thing be a blessing mm. for the people that are, are, are going to use it. May they use it in such a way that serves and loves other people. I'm just making stuff up. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's good advice. Um, and or, so, or maybe if, if you're someone that like you do lawn care. And you're hired by somebody, and you're out mowing the lawn for somebody. You could you could be mowing the lawn and praying for the family inside the home. Oh man! Yeah. I mean, there's or That's the good. cars passing by. I mean, there's just so much that you can be doing that that it may not be part of the job. Yes, but it can be the worship part of your job. And you're mowing that lawn with excellence. Yeah, because you're doing as unto the Lord. Yeah. So, aka, you're not doing a sloppy job. Mm-hmm. You're not doing it in such a way that rushes to get it done because you want to work in such a way that when Jesus looks at that lawn, he wants to, you know, he wants to say job well done. Well mm-hmm. done, my good and faithful servant. Yeah. So again, just bringing it right back to home. I'm a cleaner. I'm vacuuming. These are some of the things that I'm thinking of when I'm doing my cleaning is I really want to do this as Jesus going to be able to say, Mike, well done. Mm. Well done. Of course, I'm doing it for my customers and I'm doing it so that I do an excellent job for them because they're trusting me. They're yeah. trusting me with their with their facility. They're trusting me with essentially this contract or this business. And I want to do a good job for them too. But man, I, I want to I I do this to please the Lord, mm. you know? And I think that's I think that's the safest place that we can that we can find our work is giving honor and glory to God. Yeah. In all that we do, in yeah. all that we say. Yeah. Yeah. And there's and there's more things involved here. Uh, we could do a whole episode on, on some of this, but yeah. if you're finding ways, this would be a cool email. Email us some of the ways that God has taught you to make work uh, an avenue of worship, work as a blessing. We want to hear from you. What are you doing with God? And then what are you doing with God on the practical level to make work worship, to make it redemptive, and to see it? This would, this would be cool. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a chance to read some of them later on. Yeah, if you, if you ever want to communicate with us, um, you know, to, to any of us about this stuff, or even if you want to share about the work that you're doing and the worship that you're doing, or even if you have ideas for a future episode, um, or topics that you want to hear about or, or study things, whatever, um, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, our email is practicalpriesthood at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on our Facebook page, yep. um, which is you should just look up Practical Priesthood Podcast, and it's right there. Um, and, I mean, wherever you're finding this podcast, if you have the ability to comment, you can even comment on there and say, Hey, I love the episode. I think, you know, this is what I do or, or whatever. I mean, we want to hear from you. Um, and, and it'll help us to, to kind of look at the future of what we're going to do. And please subscribe. Yeah. And please give us a rating. And we're saying that because as our Practical Priesthood podcast family, otherwise known as P3s, the P3 family, the P3 family, when you do that for us, that that bumps us up on the chart that when people are searching on the keyword searches, the algorithms will then get them to this podcast, which is our goal is to help people in yeah. their practical walk with God. And the, every time we get a, a five-star rating, every time we get a share or a like, however you want to say it, whatever platform, it increases the chances that people are going to find this podcast. And right. we want to be a blessing and encourage people. So w- this is your this is your part. 
we're needing your help. And we know you're going to do it. We this is the work that you can do. Oh, oh there we go. But but in, in, in all in all seriousness, we do just thank you for listening to this first podcast, um, this first episode that yes. we have. Yes. Please let us know what you think. Um, please let us know what we can do better. Um, and if we say anything in any of our episodes that are said in error or we make a mistake because that happens, a lot of the times we're, we're thinking on the fly and stuff, we might say a piece of scripture and say, oh, so-and-so said that without without looking and it could be the wrong person. Don't be afraid to tell us like, hey, in this episode, you said that Moses said X, Y, and Z, but in, actually, it, it, in actuality, it was so-and-so. Right. Don't be afraid to correct us because that's how we learn and how we grow as well. Make sure you assign it to Thaddeus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We we, we, want, we, want to, we really want to blame him. This yeah. Is, oh, this yeah. will be good. That's fine. That's, that's totally fine. <laughs> um, but again, we do thank you so much for, for listening, uh, for the support. Please continue to pray for us, Please. Uh, for this podcast. This is something that uh, Mike and I really wanted to do. Um, the first time that we met, that we had we had shared some ministry passions, and one and both of us had shared that we want to do a podcast, but we didn't want to do one alone. Yeah. And we're like, let's do this. Um, so thanks again for for listening, Josh. Thanks again for for being here and, and being in, in this input and um, uh, just just doing this alongside of us. Um, and we're so thankful to all of you. So we love you. We're praying for you. All right. Well, we will see you all in the next episode of the Practical Priesthood Podcast. God bless you. Yeah.